Welcome to the Music Grind Podcast. This is episode 18. Welcome back to the podcast. If it's your first time, welcome. Uh, this is the podcast where I talk about a day in the life, behind the scenes of a musician's life and everything that goes on that you probably don't see, everything that's off stage, uh, as it were. Um, and, you know, just as a little review, if this is your first time or if it's been a while since you've listened, this really comes from a place where um, I- I've gotten this question and most musicians that I've talked to have gotten this question. It's pretty normal. Um, what do you do for a living? And when our answer is music, there have been a few people that I have encountered who really don't believe me. They have a hard time believing that you can you can uh, do music for a living and make a living out of it. And they kind of just press, well, what do you have? You know, what's your day job? And this, and so I just want to kind of show that this is a real job. Uh, it is possible. It does take work. But, you know, most of us, I would say, I would say, mo- yeah, most of us, if not all of us, are doing this because we love it. Because to be honest, um, it's it's not easy and it's not always uh it's not always for sure you know so but we love doing it and and uh we we do the work because we love it so these days uh here in florida we've been having some cold fronts and it's been down to you know the 50s and 30s even uh in some in some cases at night especially here in in tampa that's uh not terribly common i mean it it is winter it is january and or well by the time you're hearing it it's february so we do expect some colder uh colder weather and i know some people uh, complain about it from time to time i personally love it uh i love the brisk air it doesn't snow here you know so there's not that that issue um but i i am really enjoying the cold air and recently i went to toronto for for work i got a gig as a sub uh with mandy harvey and um you know as you know uh i know the whole band and I know Mandy. And so I, Dan Navarro, who's a good friend of mine, um, is, wasn't able to make this one. And I'm, uh, he called me to sub and we went up to Toronto, by the way, go back. The, our previous episode was with, uh, Alfred Shepard, the music director for Mandy. And you can find Will Cecina and Dave Hamar in previous episodes. They are in her band as well. And Dan Navarro himself will be on the podcast soon, soon and very soon. So look for, look for that because I was uh, looking forward very much to talking to him and it was a great interview. So today's guest is Justino and he's, 
he's the kind of guy, he's the kind of musician who has earned the, uh, just the one name status. You know, if you, uh, if you're here in Tampa and, um, elsewhere and you say Justino, everybody pretty much knows who you're talking about. We don't need to say his whole name. So he's earned that one name status. He's played with, um, cats like Goombi Ortiz in his, uh, electric rendezvous band. He plays currently with the hip abduction uh, he's played with Monstrosity, the metal group. He's played with Nate Mitchell and West Bird in the smooth jazz. These are national uh, national cats in the smooth jazz genre. Uh, and his own group, Ant Hill Cinema. They've, they've had several different names. We'll actually talk about that in the interview. But his own group, Ant Hill Cinema, right now... Um, and, you know, his mantra, creativity over everything. We'll actually talk about that and how that came, that was born out of uh, burnout, really, to be quite honest. It was born out of burnout. And uh, he talks about how it, it saved him. Um, and then in this interview, oh, one, one other thing. Um, he is an endorsed artist for Electra Guitars, who is a local uh, guitar company that make... Uh, they make great instruments, and they're run by uh, two great friends of mine, Mick Donner and Ben Chafin. Uh, great techs, luthiers, and players themselves in their own right. So go check them out, Electra Guitars, um, Guitar Repair of Tampa Bay. That's I'm fairly certain that's the correct uh, company name. Anyways, he is endorsed by them, by Electra, and in this interview, he tells a very interesting um, story about another endorsement deal that uh, didn't go so it didn't go as planned as you would think. It's a little disappointing. I'll let I'll let him uh, talk about that. You can look forward to that in the interview, and we talk about you know. You want to know the behind the scenes, the grind, the the day in the life. It's a lot of rejection. It's not, as he says, it's not all crystal and hose. Well, what is it, Justino? Well, he'll tell you. I'll let him tell you that. And he talks. We talk about uh, about tour life. What's that like? In 2019, uh, he man, it was crazy. He was constantly I. You know, I didn't go on tour with him, so I don't know it firsthand, but I see him on social media and he'd talk about, hey, I'm, I'm back from this tour and I'm going right out and I'm back from the, that tour and I'm going right back out. Uh, he was working like a madman flying all over. Well, he's home now, so his primary focus, uh, as he explains, is his own original group, Ant Hill Cinema. And um, he talks about, uh, in the interview, he talks about how while he was on tour, he was busy mixing and producing and, and working on this release that they have coming out um, now, in these days. Is As a matter of fact, if you, well, you are listening to this right now. I was going to say, if you're listening to this right now, but you are. Yesterday, February 2nd, was the release date for the second act of their concept album. The second act is called Childhood. The first act was released on January 1st. It's called Birth. The second one was just released uh, yesterday, February 2nd, and it's called Childhood. It is available on digital platforms, so you can buy it, which I would suggest, or you can stream it. 
if you're already paying for that. Um, and the if you're following him on socials, you'll see that they they just got their test pressings for vinyl, which is uh, which will be available in June. Um, the the whole album will be available on vinyl, several discs, you know, front and back, that whole deal with the with the uh, artwork and and all that. I'm actually looking forward to that, uh, but I have been listening to the to it digitally uh, since I don't have the vinyl yet. Well, enough of my rambling, I think. So, without further ado, Justino. These days, like most of my gigs are. Um, yeah, direct within ears. Yeah. So I, I just do that for, for the feel. Yeah, I man, I love in ears, bro. It's it's just a perfect solution to everything. Yeah. You know, to that type of thing, like especially as singer, dude. Like, it's gonna save your hearing and your voice. You, you know? don't. So so many singers that I've talked to complain that it disconnects them from the audience, which it kind of does. Yeah. Is kind of the point. So you don't you don't feel that way. No, because I can still hear them, you know, like in-ears only reduce the volume, like maybe 20 dB, you know, 20, 25 tops. Mm -hmm. So you can still hear the room. You can still hear the people, you know, it's just like if you put your fingers in your ears, you can hear everything, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So as long as you're not running your in-ears like super duper loud, which I I don't, you know, but I also like, I kind of like the fishbowl. I like that. It's just like me and the music and I can hear everything. And I like that feeling because it's like, I... Uh, you know, the, the audience is nice, but like you can feel that. I don't really need it. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. You the don't music need is what fuels me. I don't really need the, I don't need to hear people talking over the quiet parts in the songs. Yeah. You don't need to feel like your background music as well. Yeah. No, I like <laughs> it, man. I like it. Just me and the music. I agree. I happen to agree with you. Well, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for, thank you for doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you already know, you've told me that you've been listening to the podcast. You already know the premise of it. So, and I don't know you that well, although we've played and we've hung out and whatever, but I don't know your story. So, mm-hmm. and maybe the people n- listening don't know your story. How did you, uh, well, what I usually like to start with, how did you get into music and is guitar your first instrument? Yeah, I would say it is. Um, Cause you know, when I, I mean, my mom, I think my first instrument was a set of bongos, if that counts, but it was like in a way of like, he's showing interest in music, let's give him an instrument. Like it wasn't like toys. I had like real wooden bongos, you know? Oh, yeah. So I think that was technically my first instrument, but definitely the first thing that I was like, I want to play that and that's what I'm going to do and and all that was guitar. I started playing when I was eight, so it was... Playing guitar yeah. or the bongos? Oh, the guitar. The, yeah, yeah, the guitar, yeah. I had a... Um, so I, I started then and... Um, Music was always around. Like everybody in my family is either a musician or a, a music lover. You know, my dad uh, is a guitarist, and I have some uncles who play, or or just people who passionately love music. They're avid listeners, things yeah. like that. So it was always on or around, and things like that. You know, but yeah, guitar was my first instrument to me. Well, I <laughs> was I was gonna ask how you got introduced, but you already answered. So so why the guitar it was were there other instruments was there bass was there drums were that was that around Later, yeah 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 um i mean not i wouldn't say it was around my dad plays bass as well um and played bass in bands when i was a kid 
and I would see that. But I, 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 I've been asked that many times, and like I honestly don't really know why the guitar. Like I, I didn't ever have that moment that like I saw some dude on TV yeah. or something, or I yeah. heard the eruption solo and was like, I want to do that. I just was kind of like. I always say it just seemed like the right thing to do, you know? Yeah. Because uh, I was really young when I started, you know, and I was like, man, I really want a guitar and and got one and that was, that was kind of it, you know? And then all my all the all the things that came later, seeing guitar players and hearing solos and all that stuff, it all came after I started playing. Yeah. You know, it's what kept me there, I guess. What were you playing at the what was What was, uh, what were you listening to? And I mean, you're eight years old. Are you already shredding or listening to other people shred? Uh, no, actually my, I was, um, you know, I, I grew up around, uh, my mom and, and mostly, and, uh, my mom's really, her favorite band is Earth, Wind & Fire. So it was like Earth, Wind & Fire, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, the Gap Band, you know, they used to do, uh, this, I think they called it like the Saturday night dance party on some radio station here. Uh So it was always like that stuff, you know? And I, I remember like, let it whip. You know, that guitar part, I always like really loved that was like the first guitar I remember hearing okay. was stuff like that. But, you know, like I said, I started really young, so I wasn't like listening to my own stuff yet. I wasn't like making my own musical decisions. Oh, I see. Right. Um, but that's what was around. And I remember Earth, Wind & Fire was the first band I really took a, a liking to. And my first CD was an Earth, Wind & Fire CD. And they're, they're still my favorite band in the world to this. Yeah. I think they're the greatest band of all time, dude. Like yeah. with everything, just from musicianship to choreography to versatility, whatever it is, you know. And they think, did that shit before AutoTune and yeah. Pro Tools, and it's incredible. I think a lot of people would probably object. There, are, I mean, depending on the generation, people are going to say Zeppelin, or a lot of people would say Beatles. Even mm-hmm. maybe even Maurice might have said the Beatles. Yeah, but, but Earth yeah, Wind and Fire. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's no secret that Earth Wind and Fire are Beatles fans yeah. for sure. Maurice especially. But man, like. I it's, I don't know. I just, they're the greatest band in the world to me. You know, <laughs> it's like that band can do everything and still does. You know, what, it's been fifty years that they've been around. That's true. You're not going to get any objection from me. Um, at that at that point, was it like just a family thing, just a fun hobby, or did you know that like you wanted to do this for a living? At first, it was definitely just a fun thing, you know, and. It was. Um, it just felt cool to have a guitar, and and like I said, once I started playing, um, I had a, I had a lot of encouragement. You know, like I think that first Christmas, I got um, tons of CDs of like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Van Halen and BB uh, King and all this stuff of just guitar music. And um, at that time, it was just cool. You know, it was, I'd hear things and I'd want to learn that and. It was encouraged to just be a fun thing, like just just play around and experiment with it. That was like the first two years of my playing. I would say I, pr- I probably didn't start thinking of it career wise or or get serious, as they say, till I was in middle school. You know, okay. 12, 13 years old, however that is. Okay. So yeah. my first five years were just fun. I enjoyed it. You playing know? by yourself, like playing along to records, or or playing with other people. Uh, a little bit of both. I mostly played by myself. Played records a lot. I would I would learn like full records when I was yeah. a kid. That was. I'm, I'm still to this day like a record guy, man. Like I don't, yeah. I'm not a song guy or, or anything. I like full albums, you know. What What do you mean by that? Like you're not a song guy. Being like when a I, song when writer. I listen to music, I'm I'm not really like a like a put it on shuffle guy. Oh, okay. I'm like a, I got an hour drive. What re, what full top to bottom record can I listen to in that right. time? And when I sit down to listen to music when I was a kid, it was I'd 
you know, it was, it was, I came up with tapes and then it became CDs, but it was like, I would want to hear the whole thing. Yeah. You know? Top to bottom. Yeah. It was yeah. always one thing. So I would learn that way. Um, and I, I took lessons. I got started taking lessons when I was 10 with a guy named Randy Carter. And, uh, so it was, you know, taking lessons with him and playing the albums and, uh, I don't really remember if I played with anybody at that age. Definitely did, like in middle school, like the the normal age you would start playing with other people. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. think I did much in the beginning though. They have um, where well in you know the garage bands and all that. But I'm from Jersey and we had basements, so our mm-hmm. our bands were in basements. We didn't have garages. Um, that's how we started. Yeah, we had like the same, the same oh, or a similar experience. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, when you first start playing with people, yeah, for yeah. sure. It was garages and, you know, I, I had a friend named Joey. Um, we probably, probably like 12 years old and he played drums and we'd play in his grandparents' garage. Yeah. You know, and, and we were really into like, uh, you know, I was obsessed with Joe Satriani at that time. Really? Yeah. He was, he was the, you know, getting back to the what made me want to do it forever thing. He was the guy that I was like, I, when I heard him I was like, it's over. That's what I want to do forever, you know, really? whatever it is. And still didn't really think of it as a career. Just was like, whatever that guy's doing, that's what I want to do, yeah. you know? And um, I was really into him at that time. And, uh, you know, we would just jam, just like have riffs and mess around. And I remember he was really into like insane clown posse and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Shit I was like, wasn't into at the time, you know? So, uh yeah, man, those those early years, and, and it's funny because I still feel this way about music, even though it's like it's a career now, and you have to like you have to learn songs, do all that. But I, I still feel like it's just fun. I always mm-hmm. I say all the time, I just want it to feel like I'm going to like hang out with my friends and play some songs. Yeah. That's like how I want it to feel all the time. Yeah. Do you well? Uh, are you accomplishing that? You feel like you're accomplishing that? Sometimes. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't say most of the time. Um, and that's not a reflection on anybody I work with. That's just like, you know, when when you're just you're playing a wedding ceremony to the back of people's heads or you're playing in a bar <laughs> and the people in the bar are louder than you are like you know i i, I it's more of a it gets to me i'm, I'm nat- not impervious to it you know uh, the the nature of the beast rather than who you're playing with yeah yeah, yeah I, I don't i don't really these days man like i definitely have i don't i don't play with anybody that i'm like fuck i got to play with that guy tonight like mm-hmm. everybody i play with is is really good and in it for the right reasons at least these days you yeah know? that's good um, wait, going, we're going to step back a little bit. Um, top three influences for you. Ooh. So I would imagine, I would assume Joe Satch is one, um, one of them, yeah. but your top three, not necessarily in that order, but just top three on mm. any instrument. Oh, damn. Yeah, man. That's, I, I have like a really, um, compartmentalizing brain, okay. <laughs> you know? So it's like. I have different influences for different things, but I, I guess if I had to say like my overall <clears throat> musical heroes, taking the guitar out of it, because um, it's funny because my favorite guitarist and the guitarist that influenced me most are not the same person. Like Joe definitely influenced me most, but my favorite guitarist is Guthrie Govan. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, that's... like I th- I think Guthrie Govan is the is like the most incredible guitarist on the planet. Yeah, you know? but Joe was the guy that I was just like, how how did he influence you the most and not become your favorite. What does that? What does that mean? Joe's is what Joe does, mm-hmm. and um, I've always wanted to be the guitarist that that uh, doesn't do that. You know, 
like I, uh, I love too much stuff, man. Like, you know, I, I luckily like growing up around musicians and, and things like that, I had so much thrown at me and it was all awesome to me. Like whether it was Jerry Donahue or Chet Atkins or, or Eddie Van Halen or Slash or BB King or whomever, you yeah. know, Wes Montgomery or, uh, I was really into Pat Metheny when I was young. We used to have a jazz station. How long have you lived here? 10 years. Okay. So you remember WSJT 94.1. That was that radio nice. station? <laughs> no, that? I, I don't, but I like that. Oh like man, that. That, it was a smooth jazz station. So jazz guys are going to make fun of me, but I, <laughs> I discovered Pat Metheny on that station nice. and was, and was obsessed with him for a long time. And it was like all awesome to me and I wanted to do it all. And when I discovered Buckethead, Buckethead at the time was like, was doing it all. He made bluegrass records and acoustic records and metal records and, and no guitar on the record records, you know, wow. That that type of thing was always what uh, pulled me more, like wanting to do that. Where Joe, I would say, is like Joe Satriani is like a rock guitarist. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, right. An experimental rock guitarist, but I like Guthrie Govan. I think can just do anything, man. Does it all? You know, and that uh, <clears throat> that makes him kind of my favorite. But I definitely know no guitarist had an impact on me like like Joe did for how long he did when I was young. You know, right. But I, you know, getting back to the top three thing. Um, I, I would say Joe would have to be up there. Um, Stevie Wonder is in there, mm. and Frank Zappa. That's that's probably my three. Um, that made me like all around as a musician. So I can I could hear I can hear the the Joe Cetriani. I can hear the Stevie Wonder. And I've, my first instinct was to be surprised at Zappa, but now that I think about it, no. Not really, yeah. Because um, whenever I hear you, you're very eclectic, and from what you've told me about your new this new record, mm-hmm. is very eclectic, and that sounds like a Zappa thing, you know? Yeah, Zappa just, just man, like we could do a whole podcast just on him, dude. <laughs> uh, I think what really Not did it, it, I'm going to take you up on that actually. Yeah, the yeah. the Zappa, Zappa the yeah. Zappa episode. <laughs> um, I have his mustache tattooed on my arm actually. Oh. And, um, you know, like, I think what Zappa did for me was he had this, like, can I cuss on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. Right. He, he be, had yeah. this, uh, this unwavering, don't give a fuck attitude yeah. that worked, you know? <laughs> like this, yeah. He just came out and he was like, this is what I do. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to put together a 15-piece band. I'm going to do a symphony, and then I'm going to do a trio, and then I'm going to write about whatever, you know? And he just did this thing and wanted to to push boundaries and push limits and somehow became a household name doing that. And I'm like, I'm amazed by that. I don't, yeah. I don't even think that's possible nowadays cause you gotta be so extreme, but, um, it, people probably didn't think it was possible in his day. I, I maybe, yeah, maybe, don't know yeah. enough, but I would be interested to know what others around him said yeah. or, or even industry people. Said yeah, man. Him. He's, there's so much about him that isn't, that amazes me cause he was, you know, he's very smart person. Mm-hmm. He had a huge family, had a lot of kids, yeah. you know, and still managed to, to make like 85 albums and tour and, and was such a, uh, incredible band leader that anybody that played with him is considered like a Zappa alumnus, you know, yeah. like yeah. it was almost like it was a school getting to play with him. And that's incredible to me, man. And this, and he was a composer, right? you know, cause he's, I, I don't listen to Zappa as a guitarist and be like, Wow, what an incredible guitarist! You know, I, I, he's just a composer, dude. That's his thing. He's just right. a, he's just a musical embodiment, and I think the same can be said for Stevie Wonder, which nobody really thinks of Stevie as a singer or a, 
or a keyboard player, even just a songwriter. He's kind of just a, a musician, yeah, you know? Yeah. And uh, he's the same way, man. Like this guy would put, you know, Stevie would do his thing and somehow made this, this legendary thing out of it. And that really impresses me when somebody can be so honest to their craft and it works for them, you know? Do you think it works because they're honest or do you think it's just something magical that they happen to have or they happen to discover? Like if I think you, with Stevie, it's magical okay. for sure. Um, I think it's also those guys came up in the seventies, which I kind of consider the golden era of mm. music, at least in the U.S. Um, you know, because you can take somebody like like Joe or Steve Vai or Jeff Beck who does their thing, but but they're not like you know eight year old kids nowadays know who Stevie Wonder is. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Or uh, I, that's always been really cool to me, man. But. Um, I've I've always been more attracted to musicians and composers and Mm -hmm. prolific all around type musicians than just kind of dudes who play guitar, you know, or or anything dudes who play saxophone, dudes who just sing, like you know, right? Just just focusing on their instrument, but yeah. So, what about Prince? Yeah, I I I actually, dude, I'm. uh, It's funny that we're we're at Ronnie's studio right now. Everything is in here is purple because Ronnie's like the biggest Prince fan in the world, and um, I didn't. Get in. I'm, I was unfortunately late to the Prince party because all, I always knew the hits and the 1999 record and all that type of stuff. But um, until after he died, nobody ever showed me what what that dude was really capable of. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, Jason Karen, a, a drummer, who, for anybody who doesn't know, I know you know him. Uh, he played me a song called uh, Three Chains of Gold" from the Love Symbol record, and um, I was really sleep deprived, and I had just flown in from Mexico, and it was the day after Prince died? No, it was the day, the day Prince died. And I got back in town and I, I went to Jimmy B's to hang out with the method, a band I play with, mm-hmm. and sat in on a tune and then Jason drove me home because I went right from the airport to the place and Jason was taking me home and he's like, dude, you don't know what an amazing musician Prince really was and he played me this tune and I remember being really sleep deprived so I was like really sensitive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and listening to this tune and and not believing him that it was Prince, like, being like, dude, this, this ain't Prince, bro. Like, maybe Prince is on this, but it ain't uh-huh. Prince. And he's the sole songwriter on this epic cinematic piece of music, you know? And, and then I went way deep in the hole. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie gave me all his stuff. And yeah, if I had gotten into him when I was young, he would totally be on that list, you know? But I, I've only really dug into that stuff deep in the last three years, maybe. Before that, it was just Dove's Cry and all that, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I, I need I need to get deeper into love into, simple album, dog. Love simple. All right, that's the one. Yeah, for me, that's the one. Yeah, for sure. I'll I'll be I'll be studying it. Yeah. So how did how did it become? It how did it turn into a hobby and something fun? Into well, you study. You were taking lessons. Were there any formal? Did you go to school for this? And no. Did you, did you know like oh, I I I want to do this. Uh, obviously at eight and even at 13, when you start, you know, the, the bands with friends, mm-hmm. we're not always thinking about like, I'm going to make a career and this is what it's going to look like. No. Even now we don't really know what it's going to look like. But- yeah, dude. It's funny, man. Like I was actually just having this talk with a friend of mine the other day that I still kind of don't think that way. Um, all I'm trying to be is like slash in the November rain video. I just want to stand on a piano and play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's like, I think that's my ultimate goal in life. Uh-huh. And, Wherever, wherever I got to do that, you know, it's, it's just weird, man. Cause you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been playing for 21 years almost and I'm, I'm 29. 
So I've played most of my life. And um, there are definitely times when music feels like a job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, definitely those times. But at the end of the day, it's like I, I still, you know, when I have like free time, I still like playing and I love like jamming in living rooms and mm-hmm. um, I, I love being on stage. And I never dislike playing. I, I can definitely dislike everything else about a gig, you know, the the setup, the teardown, the rules, the outfit, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. But all that goes away when you get to play, you know. Um, I think I lost track of your question. <laughs> oh, well, I was leading toward like, how did this become um, a profession for you? Yeah. How did it, how did, what's that transition like? Yeah. Um, it was definitely like, I was, I was chasing, that's what I was getting at. Like with, I, I think at a certain time I just wanted to be like a rock star, so to speak, you know, even if it wasn't like in rock music, but just okay. at that, I just wanted to be on big stages and make records. That's, yeah. that was like the goal. And wasn't logical about how to get there at all. It was just like, I just need to play in bands and, and be good and whatever happens, happens, you know? And, uh, I, th- well, I think I, mean, I, that, that makes sense. That's the model we're given. Yeah. Here's this famous band and they're on TV and go and do likewise. I yeah, guess, man. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's always been, um, music has always been how I've dealt with things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like if, if something happens in your family or something like that, it's like I play. And then like, you know, when I was young, it was like her- rehearsal was like playtime to me, you know, we're going to go, we're going to go to the studio and jam like that type of thing. That's how it felt, you know? And I kind of just rode that wave and, and wanted to like get in a van and go do shows and never really thought about money. But I think the way I became, or the way I started doing it professionally was, um, when I met Donnie O'Neill, um, who's a a guy here in town too, in, in the Bay area, uh, Donnie lived in Nashville and was moving here and he called me. We, we did a, uh, a tribute show together for Matt Laporte, who was a guitarist uh, from here, but he, he played with John Olivas Payne. Um, Donnie was a good friend. We did his tribute show together. And at that time I was just teaching and playing in original bands and definitely not like supporting myself playing gigs, you know? Mm-hmm. And Donnie called me and was like, hey man, I'm, I'm moving back to Florida and uh, want to put a band together, but I need a duo partner. I got all these gigs and it was like, it was like, uh, maybe like eight gigs a month at like $125 a piece. And it was like an astronomical amount of money to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do with all this money? <laughs> and uh, I was 20, 20, 21 at that time. I think I was 20 at that time. So nine years ago. And then I just kind of like got that taste of like getting paid to play. You yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah. and just kind of rode that wave, man. And I, um, I'm not super methodical about how I do this life shit, you know? And I, I want to be better about that as I get older, but. Well, the, so, okay. So that kind of leads me to the, well, okay. There are two questions. One, I don't, I don't want to forget. I, you see, I don't have a notebook. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't write anything down. Yeah, me neither. But, <laughs> but um, what is the, this podcast is called The Music Grind. What is the grind for you these days? What is uh, a day in the life like for you now? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it depends on the gig for sure. You know, because and probably maybe maybe I should help separate it because I know you've been this past year you were on tour a lot. Yeah, so that's probably one thing, and then then when you're here, let's start totally, with when yeah. you're here. Yeah, it's it's always been, um, you know, like I said, man. I I, I think my ultimate goal is, uh, I I have like this undying curiosity about everything. I want to see everything. I want to go everywhere. I want to eat everything. I want to I want to do all that. You know. Yeah. 
music is the same way, you know? So everything that comes to me appeals to me somehow. And I want to like do it all. And I want to be kind of in, in my own vanity. I want to be known for that, you know, um, as like, just not afraid of any gig. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it could be an acoustic solo gig. It could be a wedding ceremony. It could be a, a five piece band at a bar. It could be an original music thing at a festival. It could be touring. It could, you know, whatever it is, we all end up doing that, you know? And, um, it all depends on the gig, but the grind is definitely like, I think what makes it work for me. And when I, and I don't mean like what makes the process happen. I mean like what makes it feel like work is, um, when there's a lot of rules, you know what okay. I mean? Uh, when it's like, everything's heavily scheduled and this is what we're playing and this is what you're wearing. And this is how it's got to be. And everybody make sure you smile. I'm like, cause I'll, I just like, dude, can we just play? You know right. what I mean? Like that's what makes it grind to me. And if I do enough of those in a row, I, I definitely am just like, Ugh. you know, like how do I get back in touch with the fun part? You know? So it's definitely, you know, cause I, I kind of like the gross parts of being on the road. I like being in a van and inside jokes and, and all that stuff. I kind of like grimy hotels and all that, you know, I kind of dig the grunge of it, but there's definitely times when, um, some band leaders just like kind of looking at you on stage and doesn't like your shirt or, you know, I have, I have long curly big hair and I'm tattooed. So I could be on like a smooth jazz gig or a, yeah. or a funk gig and look like a rock guy. And that doesn't rub right with some people, you know, and that's when it starts feeling like work to me. That stuff is so crazy to me because you clearly have the chops for it. And I know you play, smooth jazz gigs so i would i would imagine i can't i i mean i don't doubt that there is that visual judgment totally but as I've, soon I've as somebody hears that. you play this does it go away yeah okay um, the i would hope the so. guys in that genre that i work with are are mostly james lloyd and nate mitchell and they like they are like dude own it wear your hair down roll yeah. your sleeves up you Good. know like they they kind of like that i'm like that mm -hmm. you know it's like my edge they're, they're really encouraging of it, but I've definitely sat in or been offered to sit in and get that eye when I walk on stage like, oh boy, yeah. you know, what's going to happen? I've always dealt with that. They don't bro, believe you know? you, that you're going to be able to cut it. Yeah. And then you and, do. Yeah, man. And I've, I've kind of always <laughs> been like to this for that, you know, like right. with something, you know yeah. what I mean? But it, it does usually go away with playing for sure. Yeah. You know, but that's, I guess that's what really makes it work to me, man, is when it's like. Uh, you know, when it's so regimented and there's so many rules and, and so much shit that has nothing to do with playing or the music itself, that's when I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, that's the grind of it. Cause it's getting a gig is hard. You know, you only hear back from maybe 10% of the people you reach right. out to. Um, it's a, it's a lot of rejection, a lot of getting ignored and, um, you never really know. And if you're in a band leader situation, you go in with that with like working with a club or with a band leader or with touring or whatever. And then these four or five other people are relying on you. Yeah. And you only know about 10% of what might happen. You know what I right. mean? So it's, it's always in a weird place, man. There's a lot of like that behind the scenes thing. You know, the playing is so such a small part of it. If you want to do it professionally. Right. You know, how early did the, the songwriting come in? Cause we, so far we've been talking about playing, but you're mm -hmm. a songwriter and a singer. Um, two things. Do you treat, your voice the same as an instrument like your guitar is, you know? Yeah, definitely. Do you view it yeah. the same way? Yeah, I, I, it's funny, man, because I actually, um, when I sing, I, I visualize my fretboard. Really? You know? That's how I harmonize. Like if I hear like, uh -huh. ba -da -da, and I want to, 
in my head, I'm I'm seeing, you know, like if we're in C and like you're playing that C note on the fifth fret in your G string and you're like, you know, C, D, E flat. And then I envision like that 8, 10, 12. Like those yeah. next few, that's how I think of things and it just kind of translates that way. So yeah. I, I think of my voice like my fretboard, which is probably not good, you know. And I, the, I mean. But it works. It it's, works, it's my, yeah. It's my shortcut, you know. So yeah, I definitely think of it that way. And, um, you know, I practice control of my much more now dude like i i was uh i only started singing because i didn't want to deal with singers anymore <laughs> you know like, so there was definitely um well you're a, really good at it did you did you uh, did you have to work at it or did you discover um i hey i just have this natural talent because you are really good at it <laughs> thanks man um <laughs> i've definitely worked on it in the last uh since i started doing it professionally and like I would I would blow my voice out and then I'd talk to singers, you know, and okay. and some singers were very helpful about like how many gigs because in this town, bro, you could play 10, 12 times a week if you really wanted to. If yeah. you wanted to get crazy, if you can play solo gigs and band gigs. Yeah, right. And I was that guy that <clears throat> I was I would do triples on Saturdays and double on Sundays and doing three hour gigs. So like you think five gigs, you're you're putting fifteen hours on your voice. Imagine right. if you did that to your biceps, <laughs> you know, something <laughs> yeah. like that. It it doesn't translate. So I've once I figured out that that doesn't work, and then uh, I, I got serious about understanding the voice, and and Ronnie uh, D, Ronnie D helped me more than anything of, of explaining it like you're an athlete and your voice is your body, so you got to hydrate, you got to mm. you got to breathe right, you got to do all that stuff, and I'm I'm very conscious of it now. I don't I don't yell at bars, I don't go to smoky places, right. things like that. You know, I I try to talk uh, with like posture, you mm-hmm. know, because I'm I have kind of this edge to my voice that's harmful if I talk too much, you know? And when I say edge, I mean like there's like a sharpness to my delivery, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I definitely treat it like an instrument for sure. Yeah. But I didn't always do that. I, that's something I've kind of just discovered in the last five years maybe. Right. Yeah. How did the the songwriting start for you? That is definitely something that came natural. I, yeah. I started that way. Okay. You know, I, I think I started writing riffs and, and stuff before I ever... Uh, like would learn songs or, or think that way because I, dude, I I used to be when I was in like you know my teeny my teens and early twenties was like I'm never playing in a cover band and <laughs> if I went to like a beach bar and I saw like that guy I was like never yeah you know um so I I used to not really ever do that and and it was always the need to write and um it is a need dude like if I don't write I'm a nightmare to be around yeah. you know so it's it's like it's a release and I know that's corny to say but it, it is you know and. Um, it's it's always been there. I can't remember a time that I wasn't like that. I never had like an epiphany of like maybe I should write my own thing. You know, it seems to me like you're gravitating towards Zappa or Prince, and these are prolific writers. But you have you have been one the whole time. Uh, you know, if you're writing from day one, yeah, know? yeah. I, I mean, I definitely wouldn't. I mean, I'm not on that Mount Rushmore at all, but. Um, that if if it was like, do I want to be somebody like? Um, I guess if like, do I want my legacy to be thought of as a guitarist or as a writer? I'd much rather be a writer. Be a writer, yeah, for okay. sure, yeah. Like if if I had to, you know, because now everything's like a multi. Like you'll see like this person's name, producer, composer, yeah. arranger, blah blah. Like I'd right. be perfectly happy just having composer, you know, because yeah. that's that's definitely what I think about most and. Um, when I feel musically inspired or when like that fire's lit, I don't think about like learning, learning licks or, or that type. I want to write, you know, 
Mm-hmm. I hear instruments. I don't really hear the guitar too much. You know, as, as much of a guitar nerd as I am, I I I think I identify more with composers. You know, interesting. So that's yeah, that's always been a thing. The guitar is just where I took it. You know, the guitar is is just what happens to be your, your particular instrument yeah, or one yeah. of. Um, this you have this mantra, creativity over everything. It's mm-hmm. become a hashtag. I love that. By the way, yeah, that's thanks, man. Creativity over everything. It's it's not easy. No, definitely it's, not. It's not easy. So how did that how did that come about? Or when did you when did that uh, become like a solid idea for you? Yeah, um, you're gonna see my dark side now. <laughs> so it it came from a bad place, and it was my it was my my light in the bad place of I was I was playing ten times a week, just playing covers. I wasn't really writing. I wasn't in the studio. I wasn't doing anything like that. I was just making money. Which, you know, it's, it's America, it's capitalist, that's cool, that's great, you know? Bills yeah. were paid, I was doing all this stuff, but it's like, dude, I don't, I'm not doing what I really want and I'm not creatively gratified and my spirit is garbage because of it. Mm. And I got in this really like dark place where like I, I considered getting a day job and like I was gonna work at an Apple store and I got an, I got an interview and everything. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this sucks, this isn't why I started playing, you know? And it wasn't anything about the music. It was just the gig, you know? Yeah, right. I just got tired of, of, of bars or, or whatever, being told what to do, right? you know? And um, ab- about, I want to say it was 2016 that I, I made a promise to myself that was just like, the, the gig will be there if I, if I do my job. Because it's like I, would, I had to separate those worlds and understand that like, like when I'm getting hired to do a gig, I'm doing that gig. Nobody's hiring me, they're hiring a guitarist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I started thinking of it that way. Maybe that's not how it is. That might be kind of like self-loathing to say that, but that's how I, I had to think of it. You okay. know, they're hiring a guitarist to to serve this music. Mm-hmm. So that was that world. Just go do the gig. And I started treating um playing cover gigs or bars or or even if I was going out on the road to play with with other artists, it was like an errand to me. That's how I I put it. And then the rest of my time had to go into what matters, which is seeing my mom, calling my sister, saying hi to grandma, spending time with my wife, things like that. But also with the music, you know, cause I always, I kind of have like, there's, there's music Justino and then there's life Justino, you know, <laughs> like I said, I have this compartmentalizing brain music, Justino had to put all of his energy. Cause the, the average gig doesn't take a whole lot of energy. You know, we all can play wagon wheel. So right, not, yeah. know, it doesn't take a whole lot. <laughs> right. All that energy and that, that spite that I had built up had to go into my, into my own shit. I had to get back in touch with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's where creativity or everything came. And it was just a promise I made to myself of, you know, I, I had already built up enough cover song repertoire and, um, you know, doing, doing also certain gigs, like you kind of can start hearing changes before they get here, you yeah, know, like you yeah. can hear the verse and you'd be like, I guarantee it's going to the four in the chorus. And it does. And, you yeah, know? And, right. and I was in that place and I was like, I think I'm good, man. I can I can pull off you know pop country all this stuff I'm I'm comfy in those worlds now, but I've I've lost sight of this for like three years and and I just made that promise to myself like it's it's creativity over everything and whatever sacrifices I have to make to to reignite that fire in myself I'm gonna do and I became very public about it and uh, that particular year I was involved with a lot of creative projects and and did a bunch of my own stuff. And, um, it's a struggle, man, because, you know, when you get to a certain point as a musician, you're, you're kind of money motivated and a lot of people in your circle become that way. 
And you could be like, hey, man, I, I you know, and, and it's just, I'm just speaking in generalities here, but you can be like, hey, dude, I got this crazy collection of songs that I wrote. Uh, can we get together? I have no demos. It's all in my brain. And you and I will sit for five or six hours a few times a week and I'll show you how to play them and then we'll make a record and maybe there'll be some shows and there's no money in any of this. Your thoughts, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It's very hard to make happen, bro. Um, but I, I just was like, I'm, I have to. I have to or everybody in my life suffers because they have to put up with the guy that doesn't get to do that. Oh, yeah, you know? right. So it was um, selfish and selfless at the same time for me. So that's just kind of what I've lived by, man. And, and uh, the last... You know, we're going on four years now that I've really leaned into that. It's it's paid off in a sense of like I play a lot more original music of my own and other people's, you know, because somebody with a more positive outlook on things than I have will say like, well, dude, everybody's music is somebody's original music. Yeah. But it's like, dude, yeah. stop. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like it's one thing to play Sweet Home Alabama in a cover band. It's one thing to play Sweet Home Alabama with Leonard Skinner. You know what I'm right, saying? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, if you're playing it with Skinner, it's like you're playing the original music, you exactly. know. But if you're playing it at a bike fest, right? You know that it's you're totally on the different. you're on the stage in the grass that nobody's near. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not the same, man. So, you know, and, and since then, I've I've gotten to work with a lot of original artists and done creative things and little even just one off pop up things. There's been a lot more of that in my life, and it's it's made me find balance in my, in my musical stuff, you know? And I just think that's important, man. If you have that creative fire, you can't look away from it because mm. it's, it's not going to go away. It's going to be right there. You know, well, have you, have you had to make sacrifices in the, in these past four years? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. Like, do you feel comfortable saying any of, any of them g- giving an yeah. example of something? Yeah, man. I, you know, I, the, I know the whole point of doing this podcast is to get the other side of the story, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, I love that because I feel the need sometimes to, uh, like stand on the rooftop and, and just say, it's, it's not, it's not just hose and, and crystal. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's actually not that at all. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's all that is a fabrication. Like it, none of that exists, but it's, um, it's a grind bro. And like, you know, um, I, I think to like make your creative stuff happen almost any time that I go and do some type of original music project. I'm making less money than I would make, you know, like for, for the example, like when you're a, a band starting out and you go play some festival that's got 10,000 people and you play on the stage and, and you get to play for maybe 3,000 people out of the 10,000, uh, if you're a small band, that's your payment. You got to do the festival. Right. You know? Right. Whereas like you can go make $300 playing for three hours at some beach bar playing mm-hmm. covers, you know? So it's the financial thing. It's time. Um, I always say that original music is 10 times work for 10% of the payoff at first, you know, you, you can right. get it to that point where it could become your, your full thing, but it takes a long time. Right. You know? So it's, it's a lot of work for less payoff. It's a, it's a much higher mountain to climb. So you, you miss out on things, you know, and, uh, when you go on the road, you miss grandma's birthday, you miss mm-hmm. Easter whatever it is, you know? Right. So yeah, you make all those sacrifices, man. So how how have you balanced that? Especially this year, like you were on tour, you went you went out with the hip abduction. I remember reading and just knowing 
through a post on Facebook or Instagram or something, like you were out for a while with hip abduction, and the very next post is, hey, I'm going to Germany with, I, I can't remember the name of the band. And it's Monstrosity like, was the band, yeah. It's like, holy cow. Dude, how, that, yeah. So how do you balance? Like, how do you spend time with your wife, you know, or grandma's um, birthday? Yeah, you, know? uh, you, you don't really, <laughs> you know, like you, uh, you know, when, when you're gone for two months, you're gone for two months, yeah. you know? And you just, you, you text as often as you can and, and, um, you know, you, you order flowers on the internet, have them sent to mom's work when it's her birthday and things, you know, what you find ways, but when you're gone, you're gone, man, you know? And, and, um, you just hope that you have that support system back home that understands and they're happy. And, and when you get home, you be home, you know, you get home, you, you take your wife to dinner, you, you buy the good wine you do whatever you got to do you know what i mean like you just you really lean into that and um it's tough because touring uh touring if you're not like the artist when you're working as a side man touring pays about the same as like a local gig does you know maybe a little more maybe a little less depending on who what level the band you're working with is you know but if if you played 100 gigs a year on the road or 100 gigs a year at home they pay about the same you know so when when you're on the road you come home you kind of got to keep going you know so it's hard to take time, you know, like if, if you got like a big country gig and you're on salary, you can go home and just chill. Your money's going to be there either way. But if you gotcha. only get paid for your time on the road per gig or whatever, you know, you get a weekly salary. Isn't that incentive then to stay home? Like I, I would, definitely. you know, for some, for a lot of people, they don't like the touring because of that. Yeah. They would rather just make the same amount of money. Yeah. I, I will, I will definitely say, um, where I am super grateful with everything I got to do this year. I, I feel like I was gone too much. This, I was gone like 150 days this year. Yeah, wow. That's too much for me, man. Okay. You know, I, I learned that about myself for sure. Um, I love being on the road. I love like the experiences. I love the randomness. I love the chaos. You know, I like all that. I like playing for strangers is mm-hmm. great, you know, but, um, I definitely learned about myself to like after 15 to 20 days on the road, I'm like, let's go home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and go. Definitely get to that point. Um, the, the longest stretch I went out was 56 days and you know, I'm like, I'd have moments where like, man, I'm in Europe, I'm playing for all these people. I'm having this great moment, but fuck, I can't wait to go home. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I, uh, I don't love feeling that way, man, you know? And it, it just makes, it makes the music suffer cause you're not mentally in it all the way, you know? And everybody's different, man. I know some cats who just like are road rats and they were, they'll stay 10 months out, you know? Mm-hmm. And they, they live their lives that way. You know, they just, they shack up on couches because they're going right back out when they get home. And right, right. I don't think I'm totally that guy, you know, but it's, it's also leaning back to that question we were talking about before where I have this, I want to do it all thing. Mm-hmm. And going out on the road makes me like doing stuff in my hometown more, you know, like when you go out and you, and you play for an hour every night, you do the same show 25 times in a row, mm-hmm. going home and kind of having the chaotic, I got f- six different types of gigs this week when you're home becomes a little more fun yeah. than when you do it all the time. You know? I can definitely understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this, so creativity over everything when you're out for 50 days, 56 days straight, was that, were you able to create, did you, did you have time or did you make time to create something so you don't drive yourself crazy? Yeah. Um, at that time I was mixing our, our new album. Okay. So, um, I had like my laptop and some speakers and some, like nice mixing headphones. And when I was in the bus or in the van, depending on which artist I was with, um, you know, if we got a six hour drive, I'd, I'd sit and mix, 
mm-hmm. you know. And then whenever we got to a venue, I'd set up the speakers, listen to it that way. Or um, so I did a lot of mixing, you know, with with my group with Ant Hill Cinema. We make a lot of videos, so mm-hmm. I I had a lot of like mixing projects for videos. Um, so that was like my creative output with that because mixing is an art form as well. I know you're into the yeah. production stuff too, you know. Yeah. So it's like I consider mixing like sculpting, yeah. <laughs> you know. So it, I did a lot of that and okay. throughout the year when I'm on the road it was a lot of mixing projects, but I definitely write, you know, I, I do like what all of us do where I got just like a hundred voice memos yeah. in my phone where like I'm in sound check and I get an idea and I'll, yep. you know, put it on, throw my phone in my pocket, play it real quick. Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of always doing that, you know? And then you come back, well, like, do you go back uh, a month later or, or like, here's my voice memos from the tour. And then when you get home, let me go through them and see what, you know, yeah, what they definitely, are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. Like the, the record we just made, um, cause you know, the hip abduction did a record this year that I was involved with. I, I played on it, you know? Um, and then I toured a lot. I still did all my home stuff when I needed to. And, uh, but all my creative output went into the Antel cinema record, which was in post-production most of the year. Um, because we do everything in house. So it's like, when you make a record, you know, people listen with their eyes now. So when you make music, you have to make videos too. Mm. Um, in the way to like snarky puppy or dirty loops or any of those bands. Okay. Cause that has to be there now. Right. You know, cause right. that's how, People want that, and then they'll go listen to you on iTunes, and if they like that, maybe they'll buy your album. You right, know? right. That's kind of the process now. So um, my creative output this year went into that. It was, we wrote, and we wrote and recorded the record in, what are we in, 2019? So 2018 was kind of writing and recording, and then we did all the post-production between uh, like January and May this year. And, uh, yeah, that that must take a lot of planning because if you know you're going to be out for 56 days, let's say this long stretch, mm-hmm. that means you're not going to be home to record if you need to overdub something yeah. or if you need to be part of a video, you have to have all that stuff done before yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. you leave. Yeah, and I, I schedule it out and I make people hate me by, like, <laughs> by piling on thick, you know, because when we do, we might do like eight videos in a day, oh. you know, like, and it's like in order to get that done, Everybody's got to be on point. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, so you know, you rehearse and, and you pile it all up, and then you go into the studio, and you know, another kind of behind the scenes thing. When you're when you're in the studio, everything's got to go wrong, and then you're good. You know, <laughs> everything's got to be. This cable doesn't work. Why is the keyboard and the snare drum line like all that stuff's got to happen? Right, and then you can start. <laughs> right, you know? uh, right. So you know, we always kind of uh, when we make videos, we'll do them all in like one or two days. You know, and we might get ten videos out of that. So wow. it was the first like four months of the year was that. Whether it was making, uh, we do a series called the coffee shop sessions. Like we'd make five coffee shop session videos at a time usually, and then for the album we'd made eight videos uh, in I think two days. Yeah, oh. I, think it was, I think it was two days. We did eight videos. Wow. Um, yeah, it was two takes of each song, so sixteen full videos and then we just we took the best ones you know? right right so it was that and then i mixed the record through april and may um and i i lived on a insane schedule i would i would mix from 12 a.m to 5 a.m every day wow. you know like it was just like really compartmentalizing time so yeah, yeah. um i'd i'd wake up at 10 so i'd sleep from 5 to 10 you know i'd, I'd wake up at 10 and do whatever you know have coffee shower whatever go to rehearsal, have lunch with my girl, whatever. Um, and then usually, you know, I play in multiple bands, so you have a rehearsal or you have a gig in the daytime, whatever, right. or in the evening. 
Who's the next one? Ronnie. Ronnie. You can cameo. It's fine. Hey, how you doing? Hey. <laughs> Our studio is your studio. Oh, uh, thank you. Well, um, we're cutting out. I love you all. He's uh, all right. sending a rough. Good work today. Are we on? I'm sorry. Yeah, we're on. Hi. Can, but it's fine. Andy, Andy popped in too. Oh, my name is Ronnie D, and I approve. Justino Lee Walker is officially an expert on the grind. This is the guy I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the listeners. That helped me become a real singer more than anybody else. <laughs> you are an athlete. <laughs> Thank you. You are an athlete. That's right. What's your instrument? Your body. Yeah. I, mm. I was just talking about that. Yeah. It cool. really was. And we have it recorded. There's proof. <laughs> yeah. Andy. Hello. Hey, Andy. Hello. Goodbye. Goodbye. I love you. Right. I love you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It came out so good. He's doing a rough right now. And uh, right now what we're doing is we're making... Are we recording right now? <laughs> we are recording, yeah. This is a perfect example of what the music grind is, is I'm in the studio recording with Ronnie right now uh-huh. and took a break to do the podcast with Tito, and Ronnie was recording horns. Yeah, we did and horns, and uh, Alvin did the lead. And Alvin's recording vocals right now. <laughs> he sang the whole song. And knowing that it's a guide vocal for me. Mm-hmm. He's like, I didn't do anything spectacular. I said, yes, you did. How you sang that song is how I'm going to learn how to sing that song for real. Yeah. Yeah, so good. This is the life right here, guys. So you got a gig tonight? I don't. I do. Oh, so, <laughs> and I had a rehearsal this morning, too. Turning, uh, this off. That is that. I don't mean to That's brag. That's the grind. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the behind the scenes thing. You sure you want to do this, kids? <laughs> that's the behind the scene thing that. that yeah. That, that that's uh, that was weird. that's been this day. I had rehearsal at nine thirty. Came in and, and we tracked this song. Um, yeah, we didn't even know. Now the podcast, and I play nine to twelve tonight. <laughs> Where Ricky Where? T's solo gig. Ricky T's, which I actually love. That place. That place is kind of crazy Florida Beach Bar vibe. Uh-huh. You know, and I'm I'm very Floridian, so I I dig it. You know. <laughs> you know Ronnie, Good to see you, buddy. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Tomorrow is a no for you because you're on your home team. Yeah, I'm at the festival, yeah. And then the next day is Skippers. Yep. And then the next I'll be there. day is uh, the Buckets in the day at 3 o'clock. Oh. Okay. Um, original set at 3. It's a whole... I am taking my nephew to the Bucks game on Sunday. I don't know how I missed that one. Well, we'll miss you. Well, it's... Sorry. It's an all-day rebranding of this big club. And we're torn between, here's your grind moment. We're yeah. <laughs> torn between, you want to go in there and be a cover band? It's all other, every no. other band is a cover band. We've talked a lot about that too. <laughs> and now I got to look at the big pictures. I would like to do gigs in this club. It pays okay. But I don't want to go in there and be a cover band anyway. I'll do a few covers. So we're going to go tomorrow and just, uh, or on Sunday and go hard, all original. Hell yeah. And then if they're like, we got to get you guys in here, then that's the precedent we set. If they're not... So Ronnie Dean, the superstars, ladies and gentlemen. I love you guys. Spotify, iTunes. Uncle Alvin. Uncle yeah. Alvin. Said Thank you very much. Excellent job. Uh, happy to do it, man. For Thanks for having me. Energy and everything you guys brought to it. Yeah, man. It's all family here. I tell you, I want to be there when you guys receive your Grammy. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And I want to do. I want to sing the second verse. So call me. Yeah, about, the uh, second verse. All you. It's all you. Okay, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna be in town tomorrow. Bye guys. Thank you, we'll be in town tomorrow. We're going down to Oh nice. Right. Well you can you can I, use of this what you will. I, I think I will. <laughs> yeah. This is perfect. That was it? such a <laughs> that's what it's like, guys. Yeah. <laughs> right there. You know, and I, Are you I, on the gig tomorrow? <clears throat> no? What about the next one? <laughs> Dude, with how crazy my year has been, he 
has been one of the most supportive people. Really, everybody, dude. R- Ronnie, Donnie O'Neill, uh, the Bay Kings band, my original group. Everybody has every reason to not work with me anymore <laughs> because of how much I've been gone. And everybody's been. I still play with all of them. You know, they're all expecting me at the next gig, and I fucking love you for that. <laughs> it's uh, no man. It's it's great, but I, I mean, we were talking about this the other day at that at that party, and I think that you have you have this. Um, First of all, uh, an incredible work ethic, but just uh, like I want to say legacy. I don't know if that's too heavy of a word, <laughs> but um, it feels heavy. <laughs> <laughs> but just like you're gonna come in, you're gonna kill the gig. You're not gonna be bitter about it. You're gonna enjoy the gig. So it's like, yeah, we want that energy. Yeah, know? man. When like, you're in I, town, I've, yeah. I mean, I've had times where I get bitter for sure, but um, for me, it's. Uh, who, man, who I got I got a little emotional else? for a second. <laughs> that <laughs> exhale was for me. It's um, it's I owe it to the music because music saves my life, bro. Mm. Like that's how I feel about Not it. Not past tense. You just you just used it in the present tense. Saves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just does. Can you, you talk know? about that? Oh, yeah, like, like um, you know, it it, it uh, I I grew up in Orange Lake Village in Largo, which is kind of a like white trashy neighborhood, you know. Mm. And um, I I never got into like the the shit in the neighborhood because I was at home playing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know when when I'm sad or or whatever, like music makes that shit go away. And I think people really undervalue music because everything that uh, we deal with can have a soundtrack. You know whether it's a song or an album or, or an artist or something, or even these these like dumb shows now, like these singer shows. It's oh, it's. Yeah. It's television. It's not music. Yeah. But but yeah. how many times is like you know somebody's mom cried because this incredible singer sang this Queen song or something like that? And those to me, it's like those moments that I uh, that I love and all the all the trouble that music has kept me out of and and what it's provided for me and things like that. It's to me, it's I owe it to the music to play it right and and serve it right and connect with it. You know, and yeah. I also need that man. I, I need music to be a, a back and forth thing for me. And, uh, yeah, I, I th- luckily that translates well to my career because it's a sincere thing, but it, it comes off as this like, uh, impeccable work ethic. And it's that too, you know, it's definitely that because I don't, I'm, I'm down to grind. I'll wake up early. I'll stay up late, you know, but it's also like the music deserves it, man. That's yeah. what it is for me, man. That's, that's awesome. So, um, What's next? I know one of the things is Anne Hill Cinema. It's mm-hmm. not out yet, right? Like it comes no, out in January? In five days. In the, five days. Yeah. It's it's a bit complicated. So, you know, we the, uh this is this kind of, this is actually a perfect time to talk about it. But the way we wrote the the new record is um it's it's an instrumental album, which narrows the audience, but I, I hope people will get it, you know. Uh but we we wanted to write a film score, basically. Uh, about a, a film that goes through the stages of life. So mm. the way that we wrote it was, uh, excuse me, mostly uh, Mark Maia, my keyboard player, Ural Morris, my drummer, and I would would meet at insane hours of the night and uh, sit just like this with instruments and be like, uh, you know, okay, we're, uh, we're at, at birth and, you know, let's say we're three years old. What, what was your like life like? at that time. And we would just talk for like an hour or two and just whatever mood that created in the room, we'd write music to it. Wow. And we would say, you know, let's put this high 
twinkly piano thing. So it kind of sounds like a toddler crawling on the ground hmm. or things like that. You know, I, I love film scores and that's, uh, it's funny is my, my dream in like my late teens was to be a, a film score person, you know, like write film scores, whatever you call that film composer. That's what I wanted to go to school for. Um, so this record, we, we wrote that way and, uh, we wrote this whole story that lives through this character, but it's all very much based on our own things, you know, mm-hmm. like there's moments where like, if you, if we were to commentate that and be like, so this part was inspired by this thing that happened in my life. Mm. Uh, and this instrument represents this and that, you know? So we wrote the whole thing that way. And by the time it was done, it can't, it's like 76 minutes long. And, um, it's in five sections. We did it in acts like a theater. So it's, it's act one through five. And we were done. I'm like, man, do we really just want to put out a 76 minute instrumental record when we, we put so much of our, our literal emotions into it yeah. and, and the production and, and, you know, money too. We've spent thousands and thousands of dollars to make this record. We put so much into it. I wasn't willing to put it out there and to have people listen to like the first 20 minutes and kind of space out. Right. So, which is, is natural, you know, I, I would totally understand that if people were like, yeah, it's just, it's a dense listen because it's 70 and who has 76 minutes, you know? So the way that we're doing it is, uh, we're going to release it one act at a time. Oh, cool. Um, so birth comes out in five days on January 1st. And, you know, we have this beautiful 2020 year. So we, uh, act one comes out one, one, 2020 act two is two, two, 2020 oh. act three is three, three, 2020 all the way through May. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on, uh, June 6th, so six, six, 2020 will release cause the, the music all goes together as one piece. So that's why it's so dense. It's one solid piece. It's a 76 minute piece of music basically. Right, right. So we will give it out in sections. And then if there's an adventurous, you know, a uh, sonic traveler that wants to experience the whole thing, then the whole thing will be out in June. But we've, you know, we made, we made vinyl that, that, uh, we made this big vinyl package that we're selling now. If people don't want to wait, you know, then they have this option, but ultimately, man, I'm really glad to get it out. And, uh, wait, vinyl, you've had to, so how did, if you have five acts, how did you separate the two it's sides? A, it's a huge package. <laughs> um, it's, it's three discs. Oh, okay. And a triple gatefold <clears throat> jacket. So it's act act one, side one, act, act two, side two, like that. So one, two, three, oh. four, five. And then the sixth side of the third, the second side of the third album, so side six, is uh, bonus stuff. There's like live recordings and alternate versions and that's things cool, like that. Man. Yeah, man. That's, you know, that's um, what has consumed me this year creatively is, you know, cool. We wrote this, this huge emotional record and we... We went, we went to the nines to record it. Yeah. How do we, I don't want to just put it on Spotify and let it go away. You know, right. I always say, uh, you know, to drop the, to drop an unfortunate reality bomb on anybody who's inspiring might, might be here, but releasing a record nowadays, if you don't have like financial backing, I say is like having a handful of baby powder that it, like, it feels like a lot to you. You got this handful of, of something, but when you throw it in the air, it just like goes away. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's what releasing an album feels like nowadays yeah if you're not smart about it so you know we uh decided to release things in parts and we have artwork and videos and everything for each act so it's kind of like we have five months of content to go along with this because like ultimately man i just i want people to to uh maybe i mean like I i would say my the ultimate goal is if one person comes to me and says like man this one song made reminded me of when i was like 18 
and like it sounds like this chaotic life shit that would be like the victory for me you know yeah. <laughs> like i really hope that it comes off that way cuz it was written that way man and i hope people can understand like this sounds like kids or this sounds like whatever you know do you have do you have that in like i don't know well the the vinyl will have liner notes i would imagine yeah. but the the digital distribution probably doesn't if i were to listen to something i might interpret it one way mm-hmm. where you meant it one it came from your experience or your rawls or marks experience mm-hmm. But I might hear it and be like, hmm, that, that feels like something else, you know? So yeah, some of the music. Yeah, dude. And, and like, ulti- ultimately, that's great, you know? If whatever it inspires in you or, or uh, pulls out, awesome, you know? But uh, I always kind of feel like when I hear artists say, like, oh, it doesn't matter what it's about, everybody can make their own interpretation. I think it's just a cop out for your song not really being about anything. <laughs> um, because I've been in songwriter circles uh-huh. in, in LA and stuff like that when like they're just putting words together and discovering what it might be about yeah, later. And I, right. I fucking hate that. Like it's such an insincere, shitty way. I'm sorry. It's, it's such a stupid way to write. Um, I hate it. I really hate that shit. But like I kind of want people to know, like, we did this instrumentation to represent this thing. Yeah. But if people can find it out on their own, even better. Even better, yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. So where can um where can people find you? And Ant Hill Cinema. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, if we're if we're talking social media, I'm I'm everywhere at Justino HQ. That's a uh, you know I have a dot com, then an Insta- Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. It's all at Justino HQ. And uh, Ant Hill Cinema, same thing. Everything's at Ant Hill Cinema. Ant Hill Cinema. Mm-hmm. It was a, a whole fiasco, right? About like changing the name, and you were putting it yeah. on Facebook because you were the difference. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the the whole backstory with I I I started this band in 2014 as a trio. And I, I won't give you the whole like backstory of that. But I started as a trio called Soul Cash. I'm sure you remember yeah, Soul Cash. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, we still play some of that material, mm-hmm. you know. Um and like I said, when you're trying to do things creatively, people come and go, man, mm-hmm. you know. Um so it, it started as a trio and then um it became a four-piece and when when Soul Cash fizzled out, uh, I changed the name to Justino and the Difference, and the only reason for that is we had Soul Cash and Pocket Change, which was the same trio, but one was covers, one was originals. Right. And right. people used to say, "Man, hey man, what's what's the difference between Soul Cash and Pocket Change?" So when that particular th- group of people didn't work out, I just I took the music I wrote and started Justino and the Difference, uh, which was a quartet, and then became a six piece, and then uh, now it's a seven piece, and then I dropped my name because it be, this new album was collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just the difference, but the difference is like undiscoverable and everything is about the internet now, you know, like another unfortunate side what do you mean of un- uh, undiscoverable, like meaning if, if you went on YouTube, Spotify, Google, and you just typed in the difference, you'd never find us because oh, okay. it's such a generic term. And there's like a hundred bands called the difference, oh, you know, I gotcha. so it's, nobody's going to scroll through your tiny little Spotify <laughs> profile photo and find you. Yeah. So it got to, it was the same thing. We put too much work into the album man, and we, and spent too much money people got to be able to find it. Yeah. That also matters for the industry, you know, cause the way shit works now, like, especially with like endorsements is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell an unfortunate story. That's just the truth to drop another truth bomb on people. But <laughs> I, uh, was trying to get an endorsement with a company that shall remain unnamed. And they sent me like their application and they reached out to me. That's the best part of the story. <laughs> they reached out to me. I fill out their thing. And it was like, how many shows do you play a year? And it was like 300. Do you do this? Do you play internationally, nationally? Do you have this? Do you have a website? Blah, blah, blah. I was 
batting a thousand the whole way down. And then the last question was, how many followers do you have on social media? And I, I'm not huge on social media, but it was like, do you have, I think the question was, do you have 10,000 plus, which I don't. Oh. Um, and, uh, sent in the application. I felt good. I was like, I nailed everything else. And the, the reply I got was, Hey man, uh, appreciate it. Uh, feel free to reach out when you get your numbers up, like that oh. type of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I, I play all, I'm in front of real people. Yeah. And I, I wrote back saying I could have 10,000 followers by morning if you need me to, cause you can just buy that shit nowadays. Yeah, that's true. And he didn't yeah. reply. So I, I probably ruined my relationship with that company, but, uh, uh. you know, that, Man. Learning that, I was like, man, the difference is undiscoverable and it's going to affect things in the future. If there's just some manager or whatever that really likes our stuff, but they're just like, we can't find you. So, you know, it w- I would come down to that name. We got to change the name. Right, right. So, um, yeah, it, it got to that point where it was like, let's just change the name. We threw a hundred different things out and, you know, we're really influenced by film scores. So that's where cinema came from. And then I, uh, I have a lyric that says the anthill collective, but collective is tired. So we went with anthill cinema. That's all. You know, nice. it's not this huge poetic deep thing. It's just like, you can fucking find it. <laughs> That's all it is, man. Putting words together. It's like, there's a lot of bands on like, like moon taxi and hippocampus. And it's like, you're just putting words together so people can find you, man. And that's great. You know, there'll be a band called like star milk or some shit. Eventually <laughs> star milk. They're just like, well, at least when you search us, you find us. That's what it came down to. You wow. know? And it worked out. But yeah. So at Justino HQ, HQ mm-hmm. and at Ant Hill Cinema, yeah. all one word. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Man, I, I really do look forward to um, hearing all, uh, all the parts of, of it. That sounds like a really, really interesting project. And I actually yeah. do have 76 minutes. I drive to yeah. Orlando a lot. So yeah, man. That's, yeah. I, that's what we, like we talked about at the beginning, man. I love that. I love when I have like an hour drive home from a gig. I'm like, yeah. what I'm going to listen to, you know? Yeah. I love that. So you were writing it for yourself in that, in that sense. Anyways. In a way, yeah. I've yeah. only listened to it all the way, you know, I mixed it, so I don't really want to hear it that much. Right. But, uh, yeah. You've had to hear it already yeah. 80 times. Yeah. I've, I've listened to it all the way through, um, once since it got mastered. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know when I'll listen to it again, but I'll, I'll probably take a good full on a flight or something, listen yeah. to the whole thing and reconnect with it, you know? Yeah. I'm still kind of like, oh, I know what it sounds like. I'm still, I'm still <laughs> kind of in that there, place, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, man, I, I really appreciate it. And you're probably out of time, right? I don't know. I don't know what uh, the time is like. I play at nine, so it's 7.15 right now. I'm okay. Do you have any, uh, any, any behind the scenes about touring or touring in Europe especially? Touring, in, touring in Europe is gross. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's awesome. I mean, it's, touring is fun, man, because every night's different. You're playing for people who don't know you personally, so you can kind of be like a little extra, like savage on stage. And, uh-huh. you know? and I, I like the chaos, and I'm kind of like animalistic about things. So I like when it's like I don't know anybody here. I can just rah, you know. And yeah. I went to to Europe with a death metal band, so I was like really letting that out, you know. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, touring touring is just like. Uh, you know, the, the downs, the downsides to it is like, and it's funny cause I, I grew up in like a full house with a lot of people. My mom was that mom that took everybody in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it doesn't really bother me, but you know, the things I see is, um, uh, people not being able to deal with close quarters or, you know, you're sharing hotels, you're sharing, you know, when, I mean, when you're a bus is basically like a, an apartment that 12 of you live in. You yeah. Know? Right. Uh, so yeah, if you're the, um, 
you got to be creative with your alone time. You got to go for walks, things like that. You're not going to, you're not going to get like the, you're not going to get the room to yourself for something like that. That, right. that type of stuff doesn't really happen on the road, you know, but ultimately dude, like what matters more than anything on the road is just who you're with. If you got a good, you know, I tour with the hip abduction more than anybody and we, we get along great. We have a good crew. Everybody pulls their weight. You know, if somebody's got a stomach ache, it's like, well, sit down, dude, I'll, I'll carry your shit for you. Right. You know, and, it, that's the mentality you have to have. I've, I've traveled with Ronnie and it's just family, you know? And, uh, when somebody's down, you gotta, you know, get on my back. Let's go. That's how it is. You know, the stage is uh, the the old cliche. And I've heard other people say this on your podcast, but like, you're only on stage for an hour. Yeah. You got 23 others, 23 other hours to work with. You right. Know? That's, that's the truth, bro. So be cool, be patient, uh, be simple. And then something else that, um, Nathan Brown, for instance, was talking about when you're on tour, your time is not your own. Yeah. Is that, have you found that? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say, um, the road is no place for personal space. Whoa. That's, that's I like my, that. That's my line. The, the road um, is no place for personal space. Yeah. It's us, bro. It ain't, uh-huh. got, it ain't got shit to do with you. It ain't got shit to do with me, you know? And, uh, I, I luckily have never had a bad road experience. I will. I definitely will. And so will you aspiring musician. <laughs> Uh, but I luckily have not every, uh, you know, I, everybody that I travel with, be it, uh, Nathan Mitchell or James Lloyd or the hip abduction or, uh, you know, when I went out with monstrosity, I luckily have always been in experiences where everybody gets that and understands like, if you got headphones on, leave me alone, mm. things like that, you know? Um, but man, you definitely deal with people that don't know how to be on the road. Yeah. You know, like we had a, a person with a band I was out with one time that just didn't understand that. And uh, I'm like in my seat in the van, you know, we have like a nice sprinter van. I'm in like my bucket seat and this dude puts his bare foot on my seat, like right next to my face. And I'm oh. like, this dude's dead to me now. <laughs> like <laughs> something like that is like, you don't do that on the road. You know what yeah. I mean? You stay in your bubble. If you're uncomfortable, you deal with it because you don't want to make anybody else uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I, that's a good way to put it, man. Your time is not your own for sure. You have to respect everybody's time, man. You got to be on time. Yeah, you know, if sound right. checks at four, be there at four. Because right. otherwise, you know, if it's like you may not need it, you know, your inner mix is fine, whatever, but the others do. Right. You know, and that's that's flat out disregard for other people's needs. That's not cool. That that I'm definitely the guy that'll speak up about that. You know, I'm the guy that'll say like, dude, we've been here for a half hour. What the fuck you been? You know. Have you had to? Not, not a whole lot. I'm definitely the guy that like, if I'm working with a band leader, that's like, it's been two and a half hours and we're still running songs. I'm definitely gotta be like, dude, let's wrap this shit up. (laughs) You know, we're fine. You think you would have to do that? I mean, you said you've had the people you've been on tour with have all understood this, but local gigs, have Mm -hmm. you ever had to have that kind of uh, conversation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it worse? I'm sorry to say, but there is definitely a national and local mentality. 100%, 100%. 100%, 100%. What do, you, what do you mean? Like, I, I think what I've discovered in local scenes is it's not just ours and it's not any particular people. Because like I said, man, most people I work with are great. They mm-hmm. show up on time, they listen, you know. But there is definitely like, um, there's an extra work ethic and an extra sense of togetherness and an extra sense of accountability on the road. And um, a lot of the groups I work with is like, I'm going to be on my shit, you better be on your shit. Whereas there's this kind of thing with local stuff that, um, because it's local and it's smaller, I think people don't care as much. Mm. And um, you could be working with, like, you can be working with a singer who's like reading lyrics off their phone and like looking at you for cues and stuff. And to me, it's like you should fucking know this. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how I feel, you know. 
And then like somebody else in the band will be like, oh, dude, it's not that big a deal. They just needed some help. And I'm like, that's their job. They should know how to do that. That's, I think that's the biggest thing is I think uh, the local mentality is a little more um, like sensitive and accepting. Whereas on the road, it's like, be on your game, dude. Yeah. You know? Right. And I, I, uh, you know, I, I played with Goombi Ortiz for a long time and he's rubbed off on me a little bit with yeah. that of, uh, you know, I, I have this kind of like, if you're going to do it, do it right mentality, you know? I'm I'm cooler about it than I used to be, for sure. <laughs> the road helps that too. Yeah, to soften the edges of it. Of yeah, a, no, soften the edges of of the feeling, or soften the edges of how you communicate that feeling because they're different. The, I would say the feeling. Yeah, my reaction to things, you know, because I've never been the type of guy to like be in rehearsal and be like, everybody stop and like lose my shit on the on like one of the musicians because they're dragging or whatever you know yeah i've never been that dude but i definitely am the kind of guy that like maybe after rehearsal i'll be like hey man like this wasn't going as well i think this could be better like i i take that approach more you know whereas uh in the past like if cause sometimes you're in just that free-for-all situation where like you're on stage anything can happen yeah and uh and i'll warn I'll, you know if i'm the band leader on something i'll be like hey man eyes on me all the time right and if like you're working with a drummer who's staring at a snare drum and i have to hey <laughs> you know, I don't like having to do that, but sometimes you got to be that sometimes guy. You have you know? to, yeah. So yeah, I've had to be that guy for sure. But I've, dude, I've also been the guy that's made people wait. You know, I'm, I'm not. I've been both. We're all, <clears throat> we're all guilty at times. Well, man, I, I really thank you. This has been, this has been great. Yeah, thank you, man. Um, I'm glad to. I'm glad you do this. You know, well, thank you. I, I know the purpose of why you're doing it, and I think that's awesome. I appreciate that. I really do appreciate the support. Um, and because I I do it, thanks, man. I really yeah. I appreciate it. I I, we've we've had some talks in the past about that, you know. Yeah. And you know, I I feel the same way, man. Like you, you know, I I feel like, uh, you know, like I have I have a little studio in St. Pete that like all my friends. I'm like, it's open. If you need to rehearse, you can come to my spot. Like that's my contribution to the scene, and that this is like your contribution to the scene. Thanks, I feel man. Like, you know, we all need to do shit like that. That's yeah. what makes a scene. It ain't gonna be one dude. To make a name, it's gonna. That's true. It's gonna take all of us, man. Man, that's a whole other conversation that mm-hmm. I think maybe we, maybe it's best had off mic. But the how to yeah, how to develop this scene. To- oh yeah, we gotta have yeah. We'll make enemies on the mic with that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, ultimately, dude. Like you know, I, Seattle wasn't one band. L.A. Right. wasn't one band. New York right. wasn't one guy. Everybody wants to be the, we're going to be the one to put St. Pete on the map. You know, I've heard that since I was in high school. St. Pete's the next Seattle, the St. Pete sound. It's like, dude, it's going to take 15 of us yeah. to, to start it. You know right. what I mean? It's not going to take, and it takes shit like this. It takes podcasts and studios and videographers and photographers and graphic designers. It takes so much more than just, you know, a, a band right. or, a, or an artist, whatever, you know? Yeah. One single person. It's the community. Yeah. It takes way more, man. Cool, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, bro. Yeah, thank you. Well, there you have him. Justino, the uh, incredibly creative. He's a a ridiculously talented guitar player. But as you just heard, um, he considers himself a songwriter primarily. And you know what? Uh, It's true. I've... I've listened to his music and even in his playing, um, he's an incredibly talented singer, incredibly talented guitarist, but definitely a songwriter, man. This guy uh, thinks as such. So as you heard 
in the interview, we actually recorded this at All Access Recording in Clearwater. It's a recording studio down there on just uh, on Ulmerton. And uh, Ronnie D stopped in, Andy Beer stopped in, um, Uncle Alvin stopped in, and... Um, Ronnie D is another one you guys should check out. Ronnie D and the Superstars. He's uh, he's uh, an icon in this area um, from a, an iconic musical family. Uh, his whole family, grandfather, father, himself, his kids, um, everybody, uh, just excellent musicians um, and lovely people. As you heard, I mean, it's just a it's a family environment, and he is incredibly supportive of uh, of all of us here in the scene. Uh, and be sure I will have him on this podcast. Be be sure of that. Look for that. You heard uh, Justino talk about, I, I love this phrase, no place, the, the road is no place for personal space. Holy cow. Uh, pithy, but so true, right? Um, and even this, you know, he talks about how original music is 10 times the work for 10% of the payoff, uh, at, at first at least. You know, we all hope uh, that the stuff we create hits big, it reaches a large audience, um, just, be, just for primarily the artistic side of it. But, you know, uh, it's nice if there's, a financial, um, if there's a financial upside for it. That's always, that's always welcome, <laughs> I think. Um, so to that end, go support their release, as I said earlier, their second act, Childhood, was just released yesterday on February 2nd. The first act dropped on January 1st. This second act, February 2nd. Uh, it's called Childhood. It's available on digital um, downloads and streaming platforms, whatever you use. And in June, the full album will be released on, you know, obviously, on digital platforms and vinyl which that's what I'm actually looking forward to. You can find Justino on all the socials, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and, and whatever else, Justino HQ. So just type in whatever and look for Justino HQ. That's him. Follow him on there. Check out what he's doing. Check out his stories because uh, he's got a bunch of uh, right now, or at least... I guess they'll be gone if they're on Instagram stories. They'll be gone by the time you hear this. But he had the um, vinyl test pressings um, on his stories. And I listened through that. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Be on the lookout for the Zappa Sode. It will happen. Uh, so if you have ideas or questions for the Zappa, Zappa Sode, um, send them to me. Uh, at Music Grind Podcast here on, uh, on Instagram. Here, <laughs> you're not listening on Instagram right now, but um, you can find me. You can find this podcast at Music Grind Podcast on Instagram, and send me an email, Music Grind Podcast at Gmail .com, with whatever ideas, um, questions you have for this episode or anything else. If you have an idea and you want to hear from somebody, let me know. Send me an email or, you know, slide into my DMs. <laughs> um, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Clearly, you're listening to it right now. So just hit subscribe. 
just hit subscribe real quick on whatever platform you're listening. Um, we're, uh, it's available on Apple Podcasts. It's available on Stitcher, on Spotify, soon on Pandora. And I'm trying to figure out how to get it on Google Podcasts if it's not on there already. I don't own an Android phone, so I have no idea what's going on. But you can find it otherwise. Or musicgrindpodcast.com and just go on there and listen. Um, if you want to follow me, thank you. First of all, I'm flattered. I'm flattered that you would ask. I'm flattered that you're interested. If you are interested, you can follow me at TDV Music. That's uh, Instagram is the best way. Um, my website is tdvmusic.com. But to be honest, you're going to find more up-to-date stuff um, on my Instagram. I put up videos of music, uh, pictures from gigs, um, whatever else I put up. I, I, I don't know. I should be more like my one of my previous guests, Alfred Shepard, who talked about what are the last five Instagram posts that somebody's going to see. I should be more diligent with that. But as it is... You know, you can just go and you, why don't, how about this? Go on my Instagram and you tell me what my last five Instagram posts are. Cause I, I don't know. So thanks for, um, thanks for hanging out. I hope you enjoyed this. Remember subscribe, rate and review and share. Definitely share this with whomever, uh, whomever you like. If you have somebody, if you're a musician and somebody's asking you, Hey, what's, what do you do for a living? Show them this podcast. Or, or if you're not a musician, um, thanks for listening and welcome to the behind the scenes thing. So everyone out there, stay safe and thanks for listening. (laughs) 